I used to love the quiz show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. I loved uh, just the whole idea of it. Um, wouldn't have minded a crack at it myself, but then I would have made a fool of myself probably. But there's those moments in the show where Chris Tarrant, the, the host, um, would have given the, uh, the competitor a cheque um, for, for some amount. And then he would say, we don't want to give you that. We want to give you more. And then they would reach a point in the show where they had won more and he was uh, holding out a cheque to them for that larger amount. And, and he would ask for the first cheque back and they would gladly hand over the smaller amount because they were getting a larger amount. And we have a God who does something similar. Not that even we, we earn it in any shape or form, but not that we win it the same way the quiz show contestant does, but he gives us small amounts. And he says if we give back to him some of that, how much more he has in store for us. That applies to a whole range of things because he is phenomenally and fantastically generous. Time, abilities, resources, money. He is a God who has given us much. You see, the the Christian is someone who is brought into a most marvelous relationship. Before we become a Christian, something like money, and particularly money, acts as our saviour. It gives us happiness. Actually, studies by psychologists show that the very act of counting money uh, creates a feeling of well-being. In people. Not even their money, but they're allowed to count it. It makes them feel positively happy. Um, not just does it give us happiness, it gives us a sense of, maybe it's hope or a sense of security about the future. It gives us a sense of safety. It gives us a sense of opportunities. But once a person becomes a Christian, they have a different saviour. And they've been brought into the family of, of Almighty God. Their Father is in heaven. He owns, as the Bible puts it, the cattle on a thousand hills. And who provides all things to his people. We still need money. But we don't need money. If you see what I'm saying. Money is strange stuff. It does things to us and gets a hold of us in sort of a a creeping way that even once a person becomes a Christian, that creep can still come back and and, and pull at us. At least that's what I find. Um, And so it's good to recalibrate our hearts and our minds to God's word every so often just to make sure that we are in the position to enjoy using our resources to honour God, to say that God is worth more than anything that we've got, and to show the world around us that we have an, a markedly different attitude to wealth. Money's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's a tool for us to use. And so uh, this morning we want to think about this. And if you're a Christian this morning, this is an opportunity to see, and I want us to see, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, the staggering nature of God's generosity And how, if you're a Christian, you've been at the receiving end of that. And if you're not yet a Christian, you could be at the receiving end of it. 
And that's what I want us to particularly take note of and enjoy this morning. See, if you're not a Christian, here's a saviour. In this Bible that we're told about, a saviour who's bigger than anything money can buy, who won't ever devalue and who can't be robbed away from you, who doesn't ask you to pour out yourself, as it were, you know, an endless servitude for him, but he pours himself out first for you. It's our hearts that Jesus is interested in. Not so much our wallets, but often our hearts and our wallets have got tied together, connected together in a way they shouldn't. And so we need to make sure that we have this right. So we're looking at this passage where Paul is doing what I'm doing. He's writing to a church to encourage them to think correctly about using their resources to worship God and to serve God. He's writing to a church in Corinth. um, And he's going to be coming to these Christians to collect uh, funds to take to poorer Christians in Jerusalem and Judea where there's been a famine. Earlier in the year they had made a big pledge about their giving. And now their enthusiasm seems to have waned. It's now time uh, for that collection to be taken up. And Paul writes to encourage a radical, countercultural, joyful giving. And it really was countercultural in the ancient world, particularly in the first century at this time. The the peoples, the, the Greek and the Roman peoples, were promiscuous with their sexuality and tight fisted and miserly with their finances. Actually, a bit like our world today promiscuous in their sexuality. And the Christians, and this was noted, the Christians were pure in their sexuality and utterly promiscuous with their finances. They were generous. They opened their homes, their their tables, their wallets, and this was noted. There's a letter from the first or second century that comments on this. I don't have the quote with me, but it was noted that this was countercultural and stood out. And we have an opportunity to live this way too in the the world that God has placed us in. So three things to note. There's gospel-fueled generosity. Gospel-fueled generosity. What is to motivate us? It is not the balance sheet or the financial statement of our fellowship. That's not to motivate us. What motivated the Macedonians, who were actually a a fairly poor group of Christians to the north of the Corinthians, they had given out of their great poverty. What motivated them was their love for Christ. And Paul writes to the Corinthians to encourage them to do likewise. It wasn't even the need of the people that motivated them. And that's not to motivate us, because God can provide. But our giving shows God that we have grasped that we are in a relationship with the creator of the universe who has given richly to us. And God delights to see that in response to his open-handed generosity, we who are being made like him become increasingly open-handed. 
And there's three things that should fuel that. We should be like this because Jesus gave himself unsparingly for us. Verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What a, an incredible statement. The Christian is a Christian because of the radical generosity of Jesus. Here's our ultimate motivating factor. He was rich beyond measure, yet he became poor beyond our comprehension. Not only did he become human, that was a large enough step down from the glory of heaven, but he bore our sins. How does the Lord's Prayer put it? Forgive us our debts. It sees our sin as debt to God. And and Jesus took on not simply the debt of one person, but the debt of countless millions of believers. He took on their debts to judgment and to God and paid them. He became poor. He became poor so that we become rich. And because of that, nothing he asks is too much. Can we look at the cross and say, ah, no, it's too much that you ask me for some of my time. No, he can ask for my time. He can ask for your strength. He can ask for you to serve him. He can ask for your money. He can ask for our lives. Because though he was rich and had life, he became poor and lost his life, gave up his life so that we could have eternal life and become poor. And Paul says, fix your eyes on him. Not the bottom line. Not what's in our wallet. If we think of it in human terms, someone, uh, we're, we're, we're sick, we're particularly ill, and we need a bone marrow transplant. And somebody comes along, a friend, who's a perfect match, And they donate and it's painful and it's severe on them. And their own health suffers because of it. You'd do anything for them, wouldn't you? You would want anything. Even if the rules could be reversed, you would reverse them. You would do it. The rules with Jesus can't be reversed. But he does come and say, let me use some of what you have for my kingdom. And that holding loosely that the Bible encourages us to do, that's for our benefit, that holding loosely of not just our money, but everything that God has given us, that holding loosely, doesn't it look lovely in the light of the cross? That's what it should be. Christ didn't even hold his life tightly. He held it loosely. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Is that our attitude? It can be easy to see the figures and to see what we could do with our finances. But we, as Christians, need to see first that Jesus gave himself unsparingly for us. And if you're not yet a Christian this morning, think on that. That here is a God who gave himself to the utmost so that you 
could have treasure beyond your wildest dreams. Second thing to fuel our uh, our generosity is because Jesus has brought you into the Father's generosity. Look at verse six of chapter um, of chapter nine. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Verse 8. I love verse 8. Isn't that verse 8 lovely? And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in all good works. The, the Greek, the word all appears five times. Um, even it's translated every here. And then verse 10. Now he supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase the, your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Here's the reality for the Christian. We have a father in heaven who... Remember in the playground, sometimes in our school there was, there was a kid who, was, who gave out stuff. Um, there were two, one in primary school, one in secondary school. In primary school there was a kid who always gave, came and gave out sweets. I said, I said, it's okay, my dad can get me more. His dad owned a sweet shop or a cash and carry, a wholesaler's. And he just came in and gave out stuff. There was another guy who gave out teddy bears to the girls. <laughs> Chancer. Charmer. But he knew his father supplied those vending machines where you have the arm that grabs it. He could get teddies for next to nothing. That's okay, my dad can get more. I can give these away. We've got a father who can give and give and give. I was talking to a young couple recently. Um, and they just got married and they have a, 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 new, a new house and they were refurb- well, not a new house, they were refurbishing a house and they were finding themselves strapped for cash. They had also gone off on a mission trip to South America. That had actually a knock-on effect on, on their health in different ways. And they had given themselves to serving God and they were coming back to their home and... Um, Actually, the health issues meant that some things had to change and they had to have more of an expenditure on that. In the midst of that, they won a competition and received £7,000 worth of top-flight kitchen appliances. And I think that they were going to be fitted and they were going to be told how to use them and somebody was going to come along and cook them a meal on all these appliances. That's when you've got a father in heaven who is generous beyond all means. And look at, look at that verse 8. We, we mentioned it, but look at it again. Look at that multiple all. At all times, in all ways, so that you will abound in every good work. We can afford to give because we have a father who loves to give. In fact, we could almost say you can't afford to not give. How much more fun it is to to give, to trust our Father, and to see Him supplying in return. The Gospel has brought us into the Father's family. He will never see us short. 
And you know, there, there, there are... There are Christians who don't give to God, who don't give generously to God. And I feel sorry because they don't get to have that enjoyment of seeing the Father responding to their giving by giving even more. Gospel fuel. Because we not only have a Savior who died for us, we have a Father who gives to us. And then thirdly, Because Jesus himself will get praise and people will get Jesus. Verses 11 to 15 of the chapter, of chapter 9. God takes our giving and uses it to cause the gospel to spread so that people learn that our Jesus is glorious and our Father is generous and they get salvation And they praise God over the head of it. All because we have used our little resources that our Father has given to us to honour his Son. And he takes it and he makes it have an eternally significant consequence. What else can we do here that has eternally significant consequences? John Lang was born in 18. Uh, 79 and died in uh, 1978 at the age of 99 he worked in his family's construction firm at the age of 19 he supervised the construction of the first power station in the north of England there was a, a crisis in the company due to a project he was working on that brought the company to the brink of bankruptcy and it brought John to the to the edge in his own life where he started to reconsider and reevaluate everything and he wrote a program out for his life where he said that he was going to put God at the center of everything, at the center of his work, at the center of his faith, at the center of his finances, everything. And he, he was true to that commitment and he became a leader and Langs became a leader in the construction industry They built motorways, power stations. They built one of the concrete floating harbours that was used in the D-Day landings. They built airfields. They built houses. They built cathedral. By 1970, the company was 1,600 times bigger than when Lang had taken it over. It was worth millions. And yet, all that time, he lived in a little detached house and a housing development and when he died he had 371 pounds in his bank account we don't know what all he did with his millions because he kept it secret but we know that he gave uh, to um, London Theological Seminary he gave significantly to the universities and colleges Christian unions to support people sharing the gospel with students He gave hugely to an organisation called Tyndale House that allowed men who were evangelical scholars to get together and to study God's word and to be funded to write books, books that you have benefited from because some of you have read them and all of you have benefited from them through your minister reading them and teaching you the truths that those men found as they had time to study God's word. 
And you have given thanks to God for the truths that you've heard from me, from your own minister, through those men who were funded by John Lang. And people will be in heaven because of how he used his wealth. People praised God and people got Jesus because of how he invested. What a a magnificent thing. Paul talks here in verse 7 of chapter 8 about the grace of giving. It is an honor. It is a gift that God gives. A present, as he says, you can invest in eternity, not in your salvation, but you can invest in my son's kingdom. What a staggering privilege. This is gospel-fueled motivation for our giving. What a great Father in heaven we have. What a great kingdom that we are part of. That then leads us to gospel-shaped giving. I've got excited talking about the motivation. That's the way it should be. But let's just look briefly at this gospel-shaped giving, gospel-shaped generosity. Paul has already told the Corinthians at the end of his previous letter that they were to give proportionally. He He didn't impose a tariff on people and say everybody should give X amount because he knew that we don't all have X amount. So he said at the end of chapter, or the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 verse 2, on the first day of every week each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come no collections will have to be made. That's a principle from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they were to tithe, to give a tenth. They had several tithes that they were to give, so it amounted to much more than a tenth. But this is how we're to think. Proportionally. I don't know that we can say that the tithe is an absolute command for Christians today. It's an Old Testament command. But it's a, great, it's a great starting place for us. It's a great rule of thumb for us to have. And we should be thinking proportionally as we think about giving to God. But in particular in this chapter, Paul gives four further guidelines that I want to just mention. Our giving should be sacrificial. Our giving should be sacrificial. Paul describes giving in terms that can also apply and do also apply to the cross. He describes the Macedonians' giving in chapter 8, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And how is it that they did that? Well, he says later on in verse uh, 5 that they gave themselves first to the Lord. They thought of what Jesus had done. And as they considered what Jesus had done, they then gave sacrificially. And that should mark our giving. It's gospel-shaped giving. Jesus didn't 
tithe himself. He gave himself at immense cost. And the cross becomes our standard. It doesn't mean that we have to empty our bank accounts, but it does mean that our giving should cost us. It should cost us. There may be things that we thought, well, we could do that, but we'll not do that this year because we're going to give a little more. And I want you to know this morning that if your giving has been sacrificial, and I don't know how much you give. Uh, I don't look at that, um, because I'm not the treasurer for a start. But if your giving is sacrificial, I want you to know that the Father looks fondly, fondly on that, because it honors His Son. Secondly, it's to be love-based, not need-based. The Macedonians didn't say, how much do you need, Paul? How much do these people in Jerusalem need, in Judea need? They, they looked rather at Christ. Verse 5, we read, They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us. That's the attitude of people who care deeply. Uh, One writer says, uh, I suppose I need to be careful because I'm married to an accountant. He said, it was not the calculation of an accountant, but the extravagance of a lover. Well, he wasn't married to an accountant. I am. And I can say that he's wrong. But you get what his point, you get the point that he's making. They didn't, measure up and think well you know this is what they need and they didn't do all they looked at Christ who didn't give the bare minimum if Christ had given the bare minimum where would we be we would be forgiven and that would be it but Christ doesn't just forgive us he brings us into heaven he doesn't simply bring us to a place where we sit on the back row of the classroom like naughty children who've who've been sort of sent there and they're allowed to stay in the class but they're not, they're not allowed to, to enjoy things much but he gives us the rights of sons and daughters Christ has done so much he did it out of love he didn't simply look at what we needed he went beyond what we need and we're to be like him and we're to be willing and cheerful in our giving verse uh, 7 of chapter 9 Paul writes that we are to give um, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, he says. We are to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. And here's something just to recalibrate our lives. Is our giving like that? Because Jesus' giving was like that. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross He came and said, I delight to do your will. I have come to do what is written in the book. He was willing to do it. His life wasn't taken from him unwillingly. He laid it down. There's no sense of Jesus being cajoled or pushed into giving himself for us. And we're to be like him, willing and cheerful. And the fourth characteristic is deliberate. Verse 7 
of chapter 9 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. What he has decided. There's a sense of thoughtfulness, of consideration, that a person has looked and thought about what they're to give. It's not just a casual putting something there, but but a thought through, thinking. Am I giving sacrificially and proportionally? And what's what's my motivation in this? Again, it's cross-shaped because Christ's sacrifice, his generosity was deliberate. It wasn't something that was just casually done or, or incidentally done. It was carefully thought through. And okay, we, we don't lift a collection on a Sabbath day. We don't hand a basket around. It sits here. But as we come to give, whether we give each week or we give on a, on a month or we give by direct debit or whatever it is, how it is we give, there should be a deliberate thoughtfulness to it. Thinking of what Christ has done for us. That's how we're to give gospel-shaped generosity. You see, that's not just a clever technique from Paul to coerce these people into giving. Because over it all stands a generous God who gave the most to us. And when he sees us displaying an open-handed generosity like his son did, he says, now you've got it. Now you've got it. You've got a little glimpse of what my son did for you. And it thrills his fatherly heart to see it. He says, now you've got it. Watch what I do in return for that. And that brings us just very briefly to a final point. Gospel blessed generosity. I hadn't this originally in my notes, but I just I want to finish with this. As we seek to give, in a way that is motivated by Jesus and murders Jesus. The Father delights in that. And look what he says. As we see the incredible value of his Son, and we invest in the Son that he values, and we invest in the work of his Son, the Father says, I'll give you all that you need. I will provide an abundant harvest. I will open the floodgates of heaven and pour down such blessing that you cannot contain it. Or Luke 6.38 Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Gospel-blessed generosity. Here's a God who delights when his children delight in him in this way. And so if you've been sowing generously, be encouraged by that. If you find yourself thinking, well, I didn't know that that was the way it was to be. Well, take this and go out and look at it so that you can enjoy the mighty blessing of investing in God's kingdom and serving him. And let us hold loosely and invest richly in Christ's work. For it's an incredible privilege. And it's a great adventure as we see what God does. Because he says, those who honor me, I will honor. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. And, well, we're sorry. Because sometimes those little bits of paper and those shiny metal discs and the things that we can get with them and the security that it gives to us and the anticipation that it brings causes us to hold tightly to it because it's right in front of our faces. And, and, and we, we like this hope and the security and the happiness and the pleasures that we can get with it. And we hold tightly to it. Forgive us for that. And help us to recalibrate our hearts and our minds and our hands to the cross so that we are motivated by Christ's generosity. We are motivated by having a father who owns the cattle in a thousand hills, who ensures that his people have what they need, who is generous beyond any measure that we could come up with. Help us to be motivated by it. Help us to invest in the wonderful, eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ so that when we leave this place, we leave this place And we go to a place where we will meet people who will come to us and say, I heard the gospel because of what you gave. Lord, we want that privilege. We want that blessing. And so help us to recalibrate our hearts and minds where needed. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage your people where they have been giving sacrificially. Lord, I pray that they would... um, they would see your provision, that they would know your goodness, that they would see you opening wide your hand and pouring down such blessing that their lives cannot contain it. Not always monetary blessing, but all sorts of blessings in all sorts of ways. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name so that we live in this world in a way that is radically different to the people around us so they can see what we value has eternal value. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.